Hey, youth leaders, this is Jason with Dare to Share. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Gospelize with Greg Steyer. This month, Greg is going to deliver a powerful message to us about transforming your teenagers into teen leaders, just like Jesus did with the disciples. And so as you get ready to, to listen in or view this month's podcast, make sure you go to gregsteer.org. On his website, we have downloadable resources. You can get the listening guide, a discussion guide for you and your team to go through. And we even provide the transcript of Greg's talk to you so that you can retrain or reteach that in your uh, youth ministry context. And so make sure you visit gregsteer.org to get those resources. And as always, we are so grateful for those of you who partner with us and go online to your digital platforms, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google Play, rate the podcast, write a review, and share it with your friends. Thank you guys so much for dialing in. Without further ado, here's Greg Steer. How to turn teenagers into teen leaders. There's nobody that did this better than Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, if you've ever heard me speak before to youth leaders, you've probably heard me say that Jesus was a youth leader. Uh, most of the disciples were most likely teenagers when they began to follow Christ. If you look in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Peter and Jesus and the disciples go into Capernaum, but only Peter and Jesus pay the temple tax. And if you cross-reference that with Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, the temple tax was only for those 20 years old and older. So Jesus most likely was a youth leader with one adult sponsor, the Apostle Peter, and one really rotten kid named Judas. And with that youth group, he changed the world. So if you, if you reimagine Jesus as a youth leader and think through the Gospels as kind of how Jesus did youth ministry, it really reorients the way we think about youth ministry because he took these teenagers and turned them into teen leaders. Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that it was over the course of like three and a half years. So basically, um, ninth grade through twelfth grade, right, minus summer vacation, Jesus invested in them, and by the time he was done, we see in Acts 4.13, after his ascension, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with their youth leader, right? They had been with Jesus. Jesus took teenagers and turned them into teen leaders who took the gospel to the end of the world, ends of the world. Uh, no better leaders have ever been built out of such raw material. And if you think about the disciples, when Jesus first called them, you know, many of them had learned their father's trade. And in this culture, <clears throat> if you were a, a young child, you would most likely want to be a rabbi. From the time of your age five to the time you're like 14, you were memorizing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. You memorized as much scripture as you possibly could. Some had the entire Bible memorized. And then they took the rabbinical test where they would choose kind of the rabbi they wanted to follow. And that rabbi would say one of two things, either go and learn your father's trade or come and follow me. And it's interesting that uh, many of the disciples were learning their father's trade, right? And uh, that means they'd been overlooked and they'd been skipped over by these rabbis. So they themselves probably didn't feel like they were even average or above average. They probably felt below average. But as we know from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 1, God loves to choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So I want to encourage you with no matter what the quality of your student is, 
Jesus took raw material and turned teenage, raw teenagers into teen leaders. And so we're going to talk about how he did that and how you can do that. I believe really one of the greatest um, measures of a youth leader's effectiveness is how strong are their student leaders. Because if that student leadership team isn't strong, isn't thriving, then I guarantee you the youth group isn't thriving. How did Jesus take these 12 ordinary young men and turn them into 11 extraordinary leaders? Of course, we all know Judas flamed out, right? He he uh, rebelled against Christ and Jesus and nicknamed him the son of perdition. So even Jesus had fallout with his disciples. But how do we take our students and turn them into uh, teen leaders? I'm going to give you five keys. Number one, here's what Jesus did. Number one, he gospelized them. Now that uh, word gospelize, if you've been around Dare to Share, been around me, you hear that word. It's the old English word for evangelize. And we must not just assume that because a student wants to be a student leader or they are a student leader, uh, that they're saved, right? We need to make sure they understand the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of uh, uh, chronology with the life and ministry of Jesus. I learned this from uh, Dr. Dan Spader uh, with Sun Life. And a lot of times we think that the first time Jesus encountered the disciples is when he walked up to them in Matthew 4 and said, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And they dropped their nets and they followed after Christ. That was not uh, the first time he encountered them. Matter of fact, uh, several months before, uh, he first encountered them, and that's where he gospelized them. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day, John, this is John uh, the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I would have loved to hear what they were talking about during that time. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are uh, Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter or Rock. So they're, man, they're kicking the tires on Jesus. Who is this? G- John the Baptist said he is the, the, the Lamb of God. Could this be the one? We're calling you rabbi. And in John chapter 2, 11, uh, after the miracle at the wedding of Cana, Cana where, not Canada, Cana, Cana, Canada, uh, tomato, tomato, um, <clears throat> a, a, uh, I'm sorry. So in John 2, 11, Jesus, I mean, he has this miracle, the first miracle where he turns water into wine, Right? Not grape juice, Baptist out there, I love you, but it's not grape juice, it's actual wine. John 2.11, he says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So he turns water into wine at this wedding and they, they're kicking the tires before they believe. Okay, This is months before they dropped their nets to follow Jesus as his disciples full time. But they believed. And that's the first call. Jesus, make sure... That before he installs them as leaders uh, of this new movement, make sure that they are gospelized. Make sure they understand the good news of Jesus. Uh, I really want to encourage you to do this. Don't assume. Don't assume just because a kid knows some verses and comes to church that they know Christ. And so 
give the gospel. We do a full week training uh, where we train students, take teenagers and turn them into uh, teen leaders. Uh, I'll t- tell you about that a little bit later on. But we always give the gospel at this. Make sure these, these kids are gospelized first. So give the gospel. When you think you're overdoing it, do a little bit more, right? Because you want to make sure they're gospelized. You want to raise up uh, uh, teen leaders? Gospelize them. What did Jesus do? He gospelized them. Secondly, he sensitized them. What does this mean? Uh, He took these disciples out and gave them a vision of the bad, the broken, the bullied, and the bullies. He demonstrated his broken heart for those who did not know him. You couldn't follow Jesus without following him across the tracks. Uh, He was in the hurting parts of the city. Uh, He was with the broken people in that city. We see in Matthew 9, 36 through 38, uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And his disciples, his teenage, mostly teenage disciples, saw his conviction. They saw his compassion. I'm sure they saw when he wept, they saw his tears. And in his sensitivity to those who were lost and hurting, they themselves were sensitized. Jesus had a broken heart for the brokenhearted. And he longed to send out brokenhearted harvesters into the harvest field to reap a spiritual harvest. Now, how do we do this? We do what Jesus did. We take them out. Take, take your students out. Take them on a missions trip. There's something about going on a missions trip where students and those of you who do missions trip, you see a people in a different culture, especially if it's in a developing country. You see true poverty, not American poverty. I mean, there's American poverty, and then there's developing country, like real deep, deep poverty. I remember when I went to uh, India, and I went there on a three-week preaching tour, and we landed in Bombay, which is now Mumbai, and for the first time, I saw shantytowns, and and I'll never forget the sight of it. I'll never forget the smell of it. I'll never forget thinking to myself, my goodness, people actually live here. I remember going from village to village, uh, from Bangalore out to the outskirt village, seeing true, true poverty. And man, my heart was broken. I was I was raised in American poor, right? Apartment complexes and trailer courts by a single mom who qualified for welfare but was too proud to take it. So I know American poverty, this is a whole different level of poverty. And it really broke my heart. I remember taking my son, uh, Jeremy, when he was uh, 10 years old. We went to Columbia to visit our compassion child. And for the first time, he saw true poverty. And then he went a few years later with my friend uh, Doug Holliday uh, to Haiti and saw uh, poverty again. And I know his, his heart has been permanently sensitized by, by seeing that. I think we need to take students out to these types of things. I'll never forget in India, <clears throat> driving down the street, and we stopped at a, we're in, a, in the van. I was preaching in different places. Stopped in the van. I wasn't driving, but a little girl starts knocking on my door. Uh, my window, and I look over at the stoplight. She's just there in all this traffic, and she starts doing this, just kind of pressing her hand to her mouth and then rubbing her tummy, hand to her mouth, rubbing her tummy. And I realized she needed needed food. And I'll never forget just reaching in my pocket, grabbing as much money as I could, and I just dropped it into her hands. And you look around, the streets are just filled with that. And it just breaks your heart for uh, what what people, I mean, the, the, the physical poverty and the spiritual poverty. Take your kids out. Take them out to the broken parts of a different city. 
I mean, there's something about getting kids out of the context, even in the United States, that gives kids a vision uh, and uh, sensitizes their hearts. Here's a picture uh, for Rob Tombrella, a youth leader at one of our Lead the Cause events. And it's basically a couple of his teenagers uh, leaning down to a homeless guy sitting on the city streets of Austin and just ministering to him, praying for him, uh, sharing Christ with him. And their hearts are being sensitized uh, in the process. That's one of the things we try to do at Lead the Cause. Lead the Cause is kind of our how do we turn teenagers into teen leaders full week event that we do throughout the summer. And we do a couple different things. We do a prayer day. We start praying for the lost because I, I don't think there's anything that really begins to sensitize your heart for the lost like prayer. So we spend a whole day on really praying. They pray for the lost of the city. They pray for their lost friends. We teach them how to pray. Uh, and then we have a care day where students are going into the city. In some cities, we're working with the Dream Center uh, and we are uh, serving uh, food and water. Uh, in some cities, we are praying with people in, in the broken parts of the city, seeing how we can serve them and, and share the good news of the gospel with them. And then we have a share day. And then that whole day is they've been learning evangelism all, all week. And, and again, with that same heart of prayer and care, they begin to share. And students begin to see the lost differently. All the while, they're engaging their friends back home via letter, via text, via phone call. And all of a sudden, man, these kids leave this event uh, with a broken, sensitized heart. We finish with what we call the Dare Day. And that's basically where we help them turn their lives into a mission strip. That's when they say, how do we go back and continue to pray for our friends and care for our friends? And maybe not just our friends, maybe those kids sitting at a different cafeteria table, those students sitting by themselves. And what's our plan to really impact our, our school? Why is this important? Uh, focusing on uh, the poor. You know, I think in our own cities, wherever we're at, I mean, there's apartment complexes probably somewhere uh, close to where you are. There's probably trailer courts somewhere in your city. There's probably that broken part of the city. I encourage you, take your take your students to your own city and really help them see students at, at their own campus differently. Uh, take them out. I remember as a teenager going out to apartment complexes, and again, I was raised in apartment complexes, going to apartment complexes and trailer courts, inviting kids to come to Sunday school and teenagers to come to youth group and engaging in gospel conversations. It broke my heart. For the loss. And it's strategic. I'll be honest with you. Charles Spurgeon has got a great quote in his sermon, Preaching for the Poor. He says, If we would set a building on fire, it is best to light it at the basement. So our Savior, when he would save a world and convert men of all classes and all ranks, begins at the lowest rank that the fire may burn upwards, knowing right well that what was received by the poor will ultimately, by his grace, be received by the rich also. I want you to think about the poor apartment complexes, the government housing, the trailer courts in your city. Why not? Why not take your students out there and really help sensitize uh, their hearts for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sensitize. Jesus sensitized his teenagers, not just for the poor, but for everyone. Uh, he gospelized them. He sensitized them. And then he mobilized them. He mobilized them. Uh, we see in Matthew 4, 19 through 20, he said, come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Once they left their nets and followed him. Again, this is months, several months after they believed in Jesus. They'd seen him. They'd been around him. And now he's like, I want you to follow me full time. I'm calling you to be my disciples. He mobilized them to fish 
for people. Now, if you've ever been fishing, you know what fishing is. It's basically taking fish from the water to the shore, right? Uh, and it's it's there's an art to it. There's a science to it. Use poles and baits or nets. But with fishing uh, for fish, um, you use that fishing equipment. With fishing for people, you use the gospel. You unleash the gospel. You go to where the fish are and you bring them to the shore. Now, I've fished all my life. I, to be honest with you, I don't particularly enjoy fishing. My grandpa used to take me uh, into the mountains for two weeks at a pop when I was a kid. And I just like being around my grandpa, right? And so I just kind of followed his example and I was able to sit next to him and be with him. And I've, I've fished throughout my life. Just uh, not too long ago, about a month ago, for the really the first time I went, I got I got trained how to do fly fishing, and I caught me a big old fish. Matter of fact, that's that's the fish that I caught. So it's a big, big fish. Now, this I don't know. I didn't know how to fly fish. This is Mike Tatlock. He's a pastor uh, up in uh, the Portland area, Wilsonville, at a, a Grace Church up there, or Grace Chapel. Uh, this guy is an extraordinary fly fisherman. And he literally taught me exactly what to do. He says, here's what I want you to do. And he would just show me. He would, he would, you know, pull out the string and kind of show me how to get it going out there and then what to do when it's, when it's in the water. I didn't really know how to fly fish. He taught me how to, I did exactly what he taught me to do. And then, boom, I was able to hook that fish and bring it to the shore. And I had to fight that thing. I thought I hit a, I thought I hit a log or something because my pole went down. But he coached me through the whole process. And in the same way, like Mike Tatlock taught me how to fly fish, we need to teach our students how to, how to do it, which means we have to lead the way, right? If we're going to mobilize them, we need to know what we're doing. So youth lead, i got to ask you the question, do you know really how to share your faith? Are, are you doing that on, on a consistent basis? And once you're doing it, your kids see you doing it, you can show them how to do that, how to bring those lost students from the kingdom of darkness to the shore of the kingdom of light. And again, that's, that's what we do at Lead the Cause. Our full week trainings uh, really train students, but we also train their youth leaders in the process. A lot of times youth leaders come up to me and are like, I've never really known how to share my faith until Lead the Cause, so thank you. And then they're out really fishing with their kids, fishing for people, and those students learn in the process. And it's not just it's not just the, the students in the United States. We're seeing this blow up globally uh, I got a buddy named Don Olding. He's from Go Live Dare. And uh, he is a machine, man. It, he came out to our Lead the Cause event uh, probably four or five years ago, four years ago, and said, I got it, Brew. He's from South Africa. And he came back, and now he's do, he does Lead the Cause events throughout uh, South Africa. And he... Uh, he is so passionate to reach every teenager in South Africa. He knows he needs to raise up, raise up youth leaders and help them raise up teen leaders because he, he knows the power of a youth movement. Because South Africa, for those of you guys who don't know, from 1948 to the early 90s, there was a thing called apartheid. And apartheid was basically a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa. And it was characterized by an authoritarian political culture based on a theory of white supremacy. And it really encouraged state repression of blacks and others for the benefit of the nation's minority white population. It was a, apartheid was a terrible, terrible Thing. I'll never forget walking through the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg, South Africa. One of the things that I learned during this process, it really was a youth movement. Uh, it was teenagers and children that rose up. And they literally, these, these, these uh, black 
teenagers and and uh, and students rose up and they would sing songs and sometimes they get shot and the people of South Africa saw what was happening and broke their hearts eventually apartheid was broken Nelson Mandela all of it a lot of it came up under the leadership of Nelson Mandela who led this youth movement and a youth movement really broke apartheid's grip on South Africa and Don Olding's vision is that a youth movement would break Satan's grip on South Africa and that every team everywhere would hear the gospel from a friend. And from that, we have David Banda, who's doing the same thing in Zambia. George Wabiri doing the same thing in Kenya. Stephen Bahago is doing the same thing in Nigeria. It is blown up. And this movement is blown up of teenagers into teen leaders until every teen everywhere hears the gospel from a friend across Africa. And I praise God uh, that Dare to Share plays a small role in helping that to happen. But, you know, I tell you, I want to see that same thing happen in the United States. Because Satan's got a grip here. We need to see that revival take place. And to do that, we need you as a youth leader to turn your teenagers into teen leaders who are going to rise up and break Satan's grip through the power of prayer and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what did Jesus do? How did he do it? He gospelized them. He sensitized them. He mobilized them. And, and next, he authorized them. Matthew 28, 18 through 19, kind of a go-to passage for us here at Dare to Share. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We've been authorized. Luke 9, 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We've been authorized to preach the gospel of Christ. Now think about that. When, when I think of that idea of authorized, you know, I was in uh, fourth grade. I'll never forget Vista Grande Elementary School, about 10 years old. I was asked by my teacher to be, a safety uh, to be on the safety patrol for the crosswalk, right? Now today that may get you hurt, right? Because that's that maybe an embarrassing. Then it was cool. It was cool because you had kind of this orange belt you would put around and there was like a badge, like a safety monitor crosswalk badge. And what was cool about it is when you had that, you were able to walk out in the middle of the street like a boss as a fourth grader and stop cars in their track. Just put your hand down, raise up the stop sign, stop diesel trucks in their track because you had the badge, you had the orange belt, you were fully authorized by the public school system to be the safety patrol monitor crosswalk weirdo. <laughs> That's basically what it was. But anyway, uh, I used that badge and I loved it because I love the idea of being able to stop things way bigger than me just because I was authorized. Listen, your students need to know they're up against some big stuff. They're up against Satan. They're up against a culture that says uh, you cannot uh, share the gospel. You cannot say that Jesus is the only way. It's fine that you can say Jesus is a way, but to say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by him, that is an exclusive message, and you cannot do that. Your students have been authorized by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, a badge, so to speak, this badge of authority given to us by the Lord to lovingly, humbly proclaim the gospel to their friends and their peers and their classmates and to strangers. To do it in love, but to do it. Your students have been authorized. And I think especially in this politically correct culture of absolute tolerance for anything except the message of Christ, we need to remind students that they are authorized to proclaim. Jesus deputized his teenagers. He unleashed them with that message of love. So 
He gospelized them. That's how he raised up teen, teen leaders. Then he... Uh, yeah, I'll start again. Good. So he gospelized them. Then he sensitized them. Then he mobilized them. He authorized them. And finally, he energized them. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ten days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended and lit their tongues on fire with the gospel. He empowered them to proclaim that message of the gospel. And the same Holy Spirit power that the early disciples had, we have, our students have. We need to not um, downgrade or underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think some of us that are listening to this podcast that may come from a more theologically conservative background like I do, to be honest with you, very conservative, uh, saved in a Baptist church, raised in a Bible church, kind of a dispensational Bible church, so very conservative theologically. Sometimes in that conservative background, we downplayed the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I tell you, without the, without the Holy Spirit uh, to empower us, we have no power. Um, we have divine energy to help us proclaim the gospel. Your students have divine energy, not just authority, but energy, power to proclaim that message of the gospel. So maybe you've heard of uh, ACDC, not the band. I know what you're thinking. This is not that kind of podcast, all right? ACDC, the electrical ACDC. You know, that comes from a kind of an electrical background. There's AC, which is alternating current. There's DC, which is direct current. And early in America's kind of electrical grid history, there was kind of a battle between two dudes. Uh, Tesla, who's not a car, is actually a person. <laughs> um, and Edison, Thomas Edison. And uh, when you look at kind of the history of this, you had uh, Nicholas Tesla, who was pushing AC, alternating current. And you had Thomas Edison uh, in the 1800s pushing uh, DC, or direct current. And... Thomas Edison kind of got the jump on uh, Tesla. And so, you know, kind of America was thinking, okay, where, who are we going to invest in? You know, these investors, which one is better, AC or DC? And finally, what people began to realize was that a AC and DC were very different. DC really would be good to kind of fuel a battery. Matter of fact, it's direct current in your batteries that you have is a DC kind of power source. It's a direct current, right? But it, it winds down. AC, because of the way it alternates, is able to carry itself over long, uh, long stretches so the grids didn't have to be close. They could separate them out. So basically what you get from DC is kind of a short burst of energy that over time wears down. What you get from AC is ongoing current. So think of a battery versus an outlet, right? A battery would be DC. An outlet would be AC. I think oftentimes with our students, so basically Tesla won that whole thing, just so you know, just to put a historical, you know, end on it. But what I think oftentimes we try to do with students, we give them DC power. We give them battery power. We give them a jolt. We take them to camp. We get the kids excited. And then they come home and then that battery winds down and everything's the same. Or they come to that retreat or they come to that Dare to Share event and they're all excited and then it winds down. Because we tend to use that kind of battery power that just 
this it basically loses power over time to to motivate our students. What we need is kind of that AC power, that alternating power, that steady current of the Holy Spirit. And to teach students to plug into that steady energy of the Holy Spirit every day. It's a daily declaration of dependence on the Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus gave his disciples. Uh, when he says in John, he said he literally breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was there. Why do you think uh, John and Peter were so different, so different? When they saw them, they took notice that these men, when they saw the courage, they saw the courage and boldness of Peter and John, they they took note. They realized they're unschooled, ordinary men. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus, but now Jesus was with them. Jesus was living through them to the power, they, that alternating current of the Holy Spirit, that steady current of the Holy Spirit. So we need to, I tell you what, I, I realized this when I was about 18 years old, my freshman year of college. Um, I, was, I was running on battery power and I was running out of batteries and I was so depressed and so discouraged. And I'll never forget uh, in a dorm at Liberty University with the Liberty my freshman year, and just saying, God, I need I need to understand a different kind of power because this is not working out. And the Lord began to reveal to me um, the power of the Holy Spirit that would be that steady strength, that ongoing daily declaration of dependence on the Spirit, that steady energy flow that would change everything. So grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit. So grateful for you. We want to see teenagers turn into teen leaders. We've got to gospelize these students. We've got to sensitize them. We've got to mobilize them. We've got to authorize them. We've got to energize them with the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you. Let me pray for you. And by the way, if you're watching this, you don't yet know Christ as your Savior. I mean, just so you know, Jesus died for you on the cross, paid the price for your sin. You trust in Him. You receive the gift of eternal life, not by any good deeds you do, but by the one deed Jesus did when he died in our place on the cross. So just in case you're watching this, haven't put your faith in Christ, do it right now. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every youth leader watching this. Lord, may they turn their teenagers into teen leaders and use them in a powerful way to start a revolution. Just like, just like that youth movement in South Africa, just like that movement of young disciples 2,000 years ago, Lord, break Satan's grip on this generation and use these youth leaders to raise up teen leaders who will reach every teen everywhere uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Greg, thanks so much for bringing that great content to us and, and walking us through what it takes to take our students from teenagers to teen leaders and being intentional with that process. Uh, youth leaders, that's probably the biggest takeaway from today's podcast episode is whatever your disciple making strategy looks like, you have a clear path of where your students are to where you want them to go. And I think Greg laid that out really powerfully in those five steps. Carrie, you've got some great experience in youth ministry of taking those students through that process of disciple making and turning them into teen leaders. Share yeah. with us some of the things that you've done in student ministry. Yeah, it's always so amazing to like develop student leaders and so fun to be a part of. And I know for, for me, like what stood out, especially when Greg was talking, was how it's so vitally important that you make sure they're actually genuine believers and they can articulate what that means. Kind of a big Start deal. Start there, for kind sure. Kind of a big deal. Huge, <laughs> huge deal. And sadly, some 
people miss that, right? Absolutely. And so make sure you do that. Also, I love the part where you talked about sensitizing them. Our team just got back from a mission trip to Guatemala. Ooh. It was amazing. Um, but certainly they were exposed to some really extreme poverty that just really shook them and opened their eyes to the bigger world and how God is at work and might want to use them as a part of that for sure. And also, you know, mobilize them. We're here at LTC and Leave Jason's going to talk a lot more about that later. But what a great way to mobilize your student leadership team. I think nothing beats it, to be honest, for sure. And then he talked about authorizing them. Man, it's so important that you give away stuff in your youth group. We all, as youth leaders, I think, love to do it all ourselves. Let's be honest, right? right? We do. But it is so important that you allow them that opportunity to do what God has made them to do as well, whether that's on tech team or on the worship team or be a greeter or even really give a message, do a devotional, yeah. give them that platform to grow and to learn and to disciple others. It's really, really yeah, important. Yeah, when we authorize yeah. them, it's almost like we have to give them permission sometimes to step into that because they may not do that on their own. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Got to push them out, send them Absolutely. out. It's great, Carrie. Yeah. And then this part about energizing them with, you know, that constant sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. It's so important. And I know there's some great stuff out there, some not so great stuff out there. I love the full circle curriculum that we offer. It's a great curriculum, no full circle. I've also used one called I Am a Disciple from Leader Treks, which is a great tool to develop those student leaders as well. Super powerful. I hope you check those things out. Yeah, for sure. those are some great resources, yeah. Carrie. So when we think in terms of that flow of gospelize and sense and mobilize and authorize and then energize. Uh, love some of the practical ideas you've shared with us, Carrie. Yeah. Uh, Lead the Cause is a week-long uh, mobilization type event that will take your students from Monday to Friday and, and we essentially go through that flow. And so in one week you can bring your student leadership, your entire youth group, and Greg and team through the week gospelize, sensitize, mobilize, authorize, and then oh, energize right. your students. And yeah. it happens in a week. I've heard Greg describe it as a rapid intensification week and a rapid intensification process. So in, in terms of weather, rapid intensification is when a tropical storm in just a few hours goes from tropical storm to category five or category four hurricane, uh, just wreaking havoc and builds up power very quickly. Lead the cause will do that to your students. You'll walk into the week with student leaders or students within your youth group, and by the time they're done with this week of Lead the Cause, as we pray and care and share and dare through the whole week, you will leave at the end of that week with students who are ready to step into yeah. their role as leaders, yep. students that'll be gospel advancing leaders when they leave. And so check it out, leadthecause.org. Make sure you check the website out. We would love to see you and your students here. But if you're looking for that experience over the summer that will really catapult your students from teenagers to teen leaders, cannot say enough good things about Lead the Cause. Uh, we're yeah. actually, Carrie and I yeah. right now are standing on campus at CCU here yes. on the stage yeah. of Lead the Cause as we yeah. record this. And so uh, we're excited to be here. We're excited for what God's been doing this week. And we hope that you and your students will be a part of Lead the Cause in the future. And so God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, remember what you do really matters. Thanks so much for all that you do. And just keep working with us, partnering with us, and really partnering with Jesus until every teen, everywhere, here's the God from a friend. Thanks.